everybody, and welcome to Words Over Whiskey, episode 25. You forgot to say podcast. Well, I... 25 episodes in now I hope they know it's no, a we're podcast yeah, yeah. On the I podcast. suppose if anyone's not aware this is a podcast yes or okay. also known as two rambling whiskey drinkers yes this is true we are we will be drunk by the end of the session yeah but we've made it to 25 episodes Tom 25 this is pretty cool we've done 25 a quarter of the way to 100 episodes that's really cool don't know what will happen over the next 75 episodes but we'll wait and see I imagine lots of whiskey will be consumed. Oh, well, it's in the title, isn't it? It's implied, isn't it? Yeah. Well, maybe we'll drink something else. Maybe we'll drink cognac. Yeah. May well do. Well, we already have. Well, this is true, but not (laughs) on the podcast. Not on the podcast, but I'll fit it. Yeah. Comes with being in the industry. Anyway, in case you didn't mention it, I am Tom, regular co host, and this is Henry, regular regular host. Yeah. Thanks for the secondary introduction, Tom. I wasn't listening, but thank you. No worries. <laughs> is, is, this, this is why you're here, just just to re- remind people of what's going on. Yeah, I am literally a walk in this exposition dump. <laughs> anyway, what we're here for is the whiskey. Yes, we are here for whiskey. We are here for whiskey, and just just as we started recording, you were pointing to what I have put next to one of the glasses for you. Now, this is going to be a bit of explanation. So okay. I, I'm giving you both of the Glencairn glasses. Oh, th- those are the fancy tasting glasses. Yeah. And so I'm going to start by introducing the whiskey bottle that I have in my hand here. And then I'm going to talk to you about what is in that little vial there for you. Uh-oh. So the whiskey we are trying today is the Glenfarcus 10-year-old. Quite heavily sherry. They use a lot of uh, sherry casks in their whiskey. So this is stuff that I enjoy. I love sherry whiskeys. It's not to say I don't enjoy it. I prefer peated whiskies, but I will probably still love this. You'll probably still enjoy this because this is a bottle I already had and I've already opened. I'm already a quarter of the way through because this is delicious. I was recommended it by a few friends and I can see why they recommend it so highly. So what I have here in my hand, like I said, is going Farkas 10. I've got the bottle here and this is what we're going to be drinking for the majority of the episode. But right. what I have for you in that little vial there... Yes is a sample of the Glen Farkas 25-year-old for you oh, to try. Oh, is this the one you got? Yeah, so I it was my 25th recently. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Quite oh, century. Made it, made it this we, are, we are both now as closer to 50 than we are to zero. Thank you for that reminder. You're welcome. <laughs> so I thought it'd be very fitting that, as it was recently my 25th, I bought a bottle of a 25-year-old whiskey, and it's our 25th episode I oh, thought it would that's such a really good point. Yeah, so I thought that I've I've had a little bit of it. Well, I've got the bottle at home, so I thought I would bring you a sample. Thank and you very much. It's a chance for you to compare and contrast the ten-year-old oh. with the twenty-five-year-old. So so that's see why the I, difference that fifteen years makes. Yeah, so that's why I've given you the two tasting glasses, so you can try them and compare them and see what it's like. Oh. Yeah, I thought it'd be nice and fitting. Twenty-five, twenty-five, twenty-five. Which do you think is to try first? Try the. You're going to have the ten year old first because right, I, I think be wise. it makes sense to start with the younger one. Although, as I've said before, I think it's absolutely delicious. Um, so there is a bit of the ten year old. If Thank I you very tell much. Tell you what, pour out, pour out the twenty five into your glass, and we can test the the nose. The, yeah, you can compare the noses. And pour myself a bit of the ten year old. I didn't. I didn't bring myself a. Sample 25, because I got it at home, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking it very sparingly, because it's the 
so far. It's, it's, it's a, a very, very fancy one, isn't it? It's the most expensive whiskey I've bought for myself. It's not stupid expensive compared to other whiskeys, but it's a bit pricey. But I kind of, I'm only twenty five once, so I splurged this it out a little true. bit. So yeah, so that's my not indeed. Well, cheers, Tom. Cheers. Oh, I'm immediately getting fruitiness from yeah, this. That's that sherry bomb there. Right yeah, there. yeah. Very fruity. It's notes. the first time that I've really noticed. I'd almost get if you if you gave me the smell but didn't let me see this lovely amber coloured liquid, I would almost say wine. Yeah, I'd almost so like say a sweet wine. wine. Yeah, yeah, sweet wine. Yeah, no, exactly. Like a dessert wine. Yeah, no, I was going to say that. Just I was going to say that shit. Mm. Right, let's try it. I'm immediately getting that sweetness, but it's not overpowering. It's not like I'm being whacked in the face with sugar. It's really smooth, simple, almost like understated. Sort of fruity. It's that fruity. fruitiness. Yeah, fruitiness. But I, yeah, it's like more, when you say sweetness, I'd, I'd say fruity sweetness rather than like caramel or vanilla. Mm. This is what I normally just go to and say. Yeah. So that's the, that's the impact of the sherry cask on this whiskey. Yeah, is that sherry casks tend to give whiskey that kind of really nice fruit under it, sort of like a, a raisin fruit cake, dark chocolate. Mm. Yeah, I say fruit cake definitely. Yeah, fruit cake. Yeah, that's what I get from it. Sort of raisin and fruit cake. Mm. Very pleasant. Just goes down really nicely. Yeah, super smooth. Like that's 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 why I I only got this bottle a few weeks ago. And like I said, I was already about a quarter of the way through. And it's just because it's super delicious. It's really easy to drink. Really easy yeah. to drink. But now, take take both take both glasses in either hand and kind of go between the two. And well, I'm getting more slightly oaky, a woody kind of smell from the 25. Yeah, and that that wouldn't make sense because it's spent longer in longer the barrel. Longer in the barrel, exactly. So picks up more of those wood notes. Oh, I'm really glad. I'm really proud of myself for spotting that. Actually, <laughs> well done. You're learning. Twenty-five episodes in, and you get to pick up. <laughs> and it took—that's well, twenty-five years old. Yeah, that is a difference. <laughs> I definitely say, even just the smell of twenty-five years is more complex, mm-hmm. more complex and deeper. Have, have a bit of water before you try the twenty-five. Oh, okay. So we're Henry some sleight of hand. Let's watch the twenty-five back for his ten year. Much richer. Yeah. Much richer. Yeah. You can really taste. I want to say the age. You can really taste how this has been developing yeah. and man, um, marinating yeah. for longer in Ma- the wood. Matur- uh, maturation. Yeah. Maturation. Maturing. 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 Okay. Maturing. Oh, it's, yeah. it's not a chicken wing. Yeah. It doesn't it, marinate. Yeah, it's interesting you said um, rich because I, I tried a bit last... I had the small dram last night again to sort of refresh it in my mind. And I was like, this is really... It's delicious mm. and it's really rich. But I, it's because of that richness, I don't need a lot. And yeah. like you said, you of course because it's been aged in that oak so much longer, you get more of that oakiness. But it's almost that deep, deeper, richer, heavier oak and fruit. And I get a bit of dark chocolate on it as well. Mm. I find oh, a little bit more. See if I can. That's yeah, sort of a slight nuttiness as well, Maybe like hazelnut or something like that. Yeah, I can see the nuttiness. And mm. um, right in the end, there's a little tang of sweetness. Mm. That I could definitely say it's interesting. The dark chocolate sitting there comparing the two, even on those that. The ten-year-old is sort of sort of more vibrant, youthful, fruity. Yeah. And then the twenty-five-year-old is a sort of a older, richer, darker. And it's just going between the two glasses. Like when I first got the twenty-five, I sat at home with the ten and the twenty-five, and I was just going between the two, just nosing it and trying. It's like ooh, the ten-year-old, that vibrant, fresh, fruitiness, 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 really light and bright and younger. And then the 
twenty four with that bolder, sort of like a like, like like a sparkling kind of liquid. You you know when you go to sip something sparkling and it like sparks on your face. Is that just me? It might be you. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm just drinking sparkling stuff too quickly. Yeah. But you're sort of like you're feeling it like a splash in your face. But this twenty five year old is more like something. More like, a, more like something you sip slowly, like, mm. like and, and you savor. Yeah, so it's older and it, more. It, like it's that richness. You, yeah, it, this isn't something you you take. You don't need much of it, but you take your time to savor and enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, but I thought, yeah, quite fitting on our twenty fifth that we have a twenty five year old whiskey on there. I, I, can't, I can't guarantee that uh, fifty year old whiskey on the fiftieth yeah, episode, or, or even a thirty year old whiskey on the thirty. This episode because damn those things are expensive. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, very expensive. Damn, it's only five five episodes away as well. Oh, yeah, if well, if I win the lottery in that time, then sure, I'll pick us. I won a ten on the lottery yet, oh. like yesterday. Oh, well done. So we're, we're getting there. Yeah, you can guess what a half a bottle of uh, Jameson or something like that. Probably goes like four strong, but the local golf <laughs> um, license. Yeah, no, not quite the same. But yeah, so what do you think of Glen Farkas then, Tom? Things are really. I think if I was going, if I worked somewhere where I had to recommend whiskey to people, and I was going to recommend a nice, smooth, easy to drink whiskey, I would definitely recommend this ten year. And if someone was looking for something that was a bit older, a, quite a bit more expensive, but still very easy to drink and quite good for, I'd say for, for beginner whiskey drinkers, I would say even the twenty five would be really good for them. I think for an older whiskey. Um, it's not the most ridiculous price I've seen. For, yeah. Granted, it's 25 years old. It, it was expensive. It was a couple of hundred pounds. Like I said, 25 once, I was happy to splurge out. So that, that, that 25-year-old bottle mm. was bottled the year you were bought? Not necessarily, no. Um, so it, it's still... Oh, so, so, sorry, sorry, it's aged in the barrel since you were bought. Unless it says specifically on it when it was... Distilled and bottled, There's you, no way won't, of you won't know. Okay. So it, it has been aged in a barrel for 25 years. But it could have been sitting on a shelf somewhere for 25 years as well. Yeah. So for all you know, you're drinking a 50-year-old whiskey. But it wouldn't be classed as this 50-year-old whiskey. No, it wouldn't. So that's like people who find like really old bottles that say Glenfiddich in their granddad's cupboard. It's like, it's a 12-year-old whiskey, but it's been in his cupboard for 40 years, so it's a 52-year... Like, oh, no. have you know that one over there? It's got a retail value of £150, thank you very much. Yeah, and you're very lucky that someone gifted it to you. I am extremely lucky. He's a very nice man. Yeah, it's just um, where I picked it up from, it was the most reasonably priced... Uh, like I was looking at a bottle of Beaumont 25 and that was almost 400 pounds. oh my god yeah so it's the 12th year is only 20 pounds isn't it was mm, it the no, 10 year no the 12 year old Beaumont is about 40 pounds 30 pounds I'm getting pounds. confused aren't I yeah, yeah. that but, is really nice though yeah I, didn't, I have, we, didn't we do that on the podcast we've had the Beaumont 12 yes yeah but you've had the 15 and the 15 is the one I hear lots of people rave about for Beaumont I've had the 15 I, I think you said you've had the 15. I think I've had the 15. It does, it does sound familiar. But I haven't. I think it. someone gave it to me as a present. And it, it was it was the shit. Mm. But I haven't I haven't tried it myself. But it's, it's the Beaumont that I hear everyone say is like, is one Worth of their best. Worthwhile, yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I really I really like Glen Farkas. And um, I will definitely be trying others from their range as well. I hear the 15 is really good for them as well. 
Um, oh, so that'll be a bit closer to the 25 than the 10, but nowhere near the price range or the complexity. So I think it'd be a good compromise Yeah, to the 15. We need to try it. I'm sure we will do it at some point. I really want to... My nickname on our podcast is Whiskey Golem. I don't want to make a Whiskey Golem. Like, oh, Golem goes and fetches <laughs> us whiskey. Like, we want to try this whiskey. Golem, fetch the whiskey. Mm. Cue Lord of the Rings references here. I will not attempt an Andy Circus impersonation. You have attempted. Yeah. Oh, cut that. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. A 10-year-old compared to a 25. Thank you very much for letting me try that 25-year-old. No, you're welcome. Okay. And, and the 10-year-old, of course. Yeah. Well, like I say, the best way to enjoy whiskey is when you're sharing it with others. This is very true. Yeah. But, uh, Tom. Yes. You love a good whiskey, don't you? Of course I do. You like it even better when it's free, I'm sure. <laughs> Not wrong there. Well, did you know back in the Victorian times, some uh, Scotch distilleries, they used to allow workers to have a free dram whenever a bell rang. So the bell would ring and the workers would stop and have a dram. I have never wanted a time machine more. <laughs> and that's a little bit of whiskey trivia. Yeah. So, theoretically speaking... If I did have a time machine, mm. I went back in time. I went to, I don't know, the Johnny Walker distillery or somewhere in Scotland. Oh, oh did they not do it? So Johnny Walker isn't a distillery. It's oh, a blend. Of course. So they have a bunch of different distilleries owned by Diageo. And they take... Well, they're owned by Diageo now. Yeah. But they would take... Um, well, Johnny Walker was a blend to begin with. Yeah, so didn't he just get loads took, of yeah, bottles and pour them all together, mix it together and made an even better thing? Could we just do that? Could we not just get loads of bottles, mix them all together and sell it as our own whiskey? Can we legally do that? I think there would be like proper channels where you'd have to source the whiskey and then blend it and then... You you could lots of legal it. stuff to yeah. sign. But assuming we did all of that, we could do it. But, but there are companies who... There are bottling companies who will buy casks of whiskey from other people and they'll bottle it under their own label and then of course a lot of them will say it's from this distillery but it's, it's whiskey that you might not necessarily be able to get from that distillery so say like the Glenfargus yeah you could theoretically go and I don't think they do say like a 22 year old whiskey you could go to them and buy a cask of the 22 year old whiskey that they're waiting for it to mature till it's 25 you say I want to buy that they sell it to you at 22 years old. And then you, you then could, bottle then you, it. And then you could bottle it as under your your bottle bottling company's name. And then have it as Glenfarkus, 22 years old. And then sell it like that. And why are we not doing this? Yeah, because I have no clue how. Mm. <laughs> do you? <laughs> well, I was kind of hoping you would. No. And then all I'd have to do is come up with some kind of capital. I don't think I rush up the capital. No. But I just think that would be easier to get a hold of than the rare whiskey. Yeah. Yeah, well, like you said, it, well, you won £10 on the lottery, like you said. There we go. I won more, I'm won £10 yeah. towards. Yeah, just add a few, if only we could add a few more zeros. Yeah, just maybe next Maybe next week. Next week, on the, if you get another lottery ticket, that's when, that's when we'll... So if you installed a bell in a whiskey shop, I'm guessing they're not going to respect this rule about... A free dram. Every, everyone stops working, has a free dram. No, I don't think... They're not going <laughs> to respect that. It's no. a shame. Indeed, indeed. Well, some nice whiskies. Bit of whiskey trivia. As usual, let's move on to the books. And I think last episode, you said you had a lot you wanted to talk about. 
and we we covered a few of them but you said you had even more um i i i, I don't know what i said in the last podcast but i definitely read a lot since the last podcast that i would like to talk about so unless you'd like to go first i will discuss books i think i went from first on the previous episode okay um, and i've got a few less to cover than you so i'll let you i'll let you get the ball rolling okay then so the first book i've read since our last podcast that i'd like to talk about is pawn's gambit by rob j hayes and you might remember I talked about a different book by Rob J. Hayes in the last podcast, which mm-hmm. was called Never Die. And this book is set in the same universe. So it's called the Mortal Technique series. And rather than it being a typical sequence of the first book is the book rolling and the second book develops things, and the third book either, you know, is the climax or developing further and so on and so on, it's each book in the series is a standalone novel. Very similar to, to help you understand, Henry, the side books that Joe Abercrombie wrote. Yeah. So you know how Best Served Cold and The Heroes and Red Country, they had characters in the other books, but they were their own stories. They're sort of interconnected, interconnected through the world. Yeah. And you have a few recurring characters. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. That exact sort of thing. Except that's the whole series. There is no... It's not in between trilogies. That is the whole series. Joe McCrombie actually wrote a young adult series in this style as well. Although that, although Joe McCrombie's young adult series, the protagonist of the next book were minor characters in the previous book. Which so far has been roughly similar. Anyway, Pawn's Gambit. In Pawn's Gambit, it's still set in the world heavily inspired by Chinese and Japanese mythology. And in this world, every 100 years, the gods have a competition called the Holy Crucible to determine who becomes the next king of the gods. But the gods themselves can't actually participate. That wouldn't be fair, they're gods. So they each choose a mortal champion. So it's and kind of like Mortal Kombat. Yeah, probably inspired by Mortal Kombat, actually. Um, but rather than just fighting each other, because obviously the, they, the gods would just choose warriors. The champions have to go out in the world and find specific artifacts hidden by the previous king of the gods. Whoever finds the most... The object of the, of the crucible is to, find, is to see who finds the most artifacts. I mean, this is the these are the books you've shown me the picture, and they've got the really cool cover. They have amazing art. cover art. They the, literally um, do, like the samurais and everything. Exactly. And so in this book, the main character needs to redeem herself for a past crime, and the past crime was so horrible, so so bad that that it would literally take um, divine intervention to to pardon her for it. Luckily, it's time for the holy crucible. <laughs> so, divine intervention. So, I, in the world of character motivation, this hits the nail right on the head. What fortuitous timing. What fortuitous timing. So, we kind of go from there, basically. And there are loads of references to the previous book, Never Die. While it's technically a sequel, because it takes place after Never Die. And while you could read both books separately in any order you wanted, I would strongly recommend reading Never Die first for many of the events or references or dialogue of Port's Gambit to make sense. That being said, it's just so well written. Like, I could... I, I read it in about two or three days. This 400-page book, just binge-read it, didn't even notice. And there are just specific scenes that I can just pick out from my memory 
that will just stay in my memory for a long time because they were just amazing encounters or scenarios or just scenes that I just really enjoyed. And I, I won't explain it. I won't explain them because that would be massive spoilers. But I just wanted to say, shout out to this book. I loved it. <laughs> it's, it sounds like an interesting sort of collection of books. Like, like you, you showed me the cover art and that's all I know from them. And it's just like, that makes you want to read. Yeah. They say don't judge a book by its cover. But, they, but if that was the cool. case, there'd be a lot of people out of a career. Yeah. But but they looked interesting. Mm. And then the way you've described these past two, I'm like, yeah, I want to get around to reading those at some point. Because, you know. Makes it worth buying a Kindle, doesn't it? Or I could just buy the books. Yeah, but they, I'm fairly certain they've been self-published. Oh, okay. Well, they were originally, so physical copies, while not impossible to get hold of, are much harder. Okay, I'll just borrow. But I'll your, have to double check. That. I'll just borrow your Kindle. Then. I broke. I I I I've broken my Kindle. Oh. It's literally over there, the cracked screen. Um, okay. <laughs> You're welcome to borrow it. You won't get to turn on. I think you can get like a Kindle app on your phone or something. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. So maybe I'll do that. I do highly recommend reading them though, because you would really enjoy them. Sounds good. Yeah, I think. Remember you talking about the previous one, the previous episode, and I said, oh, that sounds good, because you described the jewels in it, kind of like Ghost of Tsushima, but in literary format. Unfortunately, Pawn's Gambit, the main characters rely more on their intelligence rather than their ability to fight. So there weren't any act of the jewels that were in the previous book. But sometimes that's cool, where you have an intelligent character and they find e- different ways exactly. to Exactly. And also... I. If it was just the same as Never Die, but a slightly different plot, it wouldn't have worked so well, in my opinion. So what's the uh, next book you want to talk about? The next book I want to talk about is The Grey Bastards by Jonathan Franz. Henry, have you watched Sons of Anarchy? No. Are you familiar with the the premise? No. Okay, so mostly in America, although also in England, in fact there's one near us, there are things called motorcycle clubs. Which are a bunch of motorcycle enthusiasts who gather together, they go around riding their bikes together, and they wear these leather jackets with the symbol of the oh, motorbike club. Um, Charlie Hunnam? Yes, exactly. The symbol. Apparently he, he took, at the end of the series, he just took the bike. I would not be surprised to yeah. Um And they wear these leather jackets with the symbol of their club on, on, on the back and various patches um, indicating their rank, and this is called a cut. And they love motor- motorcycles and they have a bunch of ridiculous rules. Like um, they have a road captain who decides when they stop and what they do when they stop. And they have a president who determines what the club does and the club's policy. They have a quartermaster who handles the club's treasury, etc., etc., etc. And in America, mostly, I think, well, also maybe in places like Sweden, these motorcycle clubs are also synonymous with crime. Have you heard of the Hells Angels? Mm-hmm. They're one of these clubs. They are... They're about the only one I've heard of. Well, yeah, me too. Um, they inspired Sons of Anarchy. And these these clubs, because they are a group of motorcycle thugs, basically, who travel around the States, they, are, they can very easily smuggle drugs and weapons, which is what they do. And if the government, the police, whatever, try to get involved, they're like, oh, no, we're just a bunch of motorcycle enthusiasts. But actually, they are criminals. But it's just harder to prove. And, and they're called outlaw motorcycle gangs. Anyway, these outlaw motorcycle gangs, in particular, Sons of Anarchy, the show, inspired the Great Bastards by Jonathan from France. So instead of white trash, you've got half-orcs. <laughs> and rather than riding motorcycles, they're riding giant pigs. 
who have tusks shaped like the handlebars of a motorcycle. <laughs> and rather than smuggling drugs and, you know, committing crimes, they're keeping a human nation safe from orc incursions. I'm literally picture, picturing the hog riders from Clash of Cans. Hog riders. Similar, but, but, you know, half orcs. So they have grey skin and tusks. But basically the same. They still have cuts. They're... And they're organised into clans rather than clubs or something similar. They call them hooves, actually. Um, but they basically work in the same sort of hierarchical structure as a motorcycle, uh, outlaw motorcycle club. Wait, so you said they're half orcs. Yes. So why are they designed to protect humanity rather than help the orcs? I could explain. Maybe spoilers. Okay. Anyway, um, also because orcs are violent you have a better chance of being reasonable to a human than an orc. Anyway, so yeah, this is heavily inspired. By motorcycle gangs. Yeah. Well, so this thought was a fresh, original, exciting take on fantasy. Mm. Rather than, you know, this group of adventurers going on a quest, you've got what is basically a motorcycle gang. We're following a medieval motor... It'd be kind of like you do the same thing, but you do with dwarves with... <laughs> where they've made mo- motorcycles or something. Or a bunch of punk witches who pimped out their uh, broomsticks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that'd be great for That'd be awesome. I, 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 I copyright that. I copyright that. <laughs> that'd be great for the sequel book. Yeah, exactly. They're, 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 my, they're rival motorcycle gangs, but it's witches on brooms and dwarves. There on... is a rival motorcycle gang who are elves who ride stags. Of course. <laughs> Which kind of works. <laughs> this yeah, does work. Really yeah, that's work. That's work. That works perfectly. And it was just awesome. This series, this book even, I've only read the first book. It was just awesome. For people who've watched Sons of Anarchy, it was brilliant. If the author hadn't said Sons of Anarchy inspired this book, I would be able to tell. The main character in Sons of Anarchy is called Jax, played by Charlie Hunnam, as you said. Mm-hmm. The main character in The Great Bastards is called Jackal. Hmm. I thought you were about to say Dax. <laughs> the leader of the Sons of Anarchy is called Clay. The leader of the Grey Bastards is called the Clay Master. Mm. <laughs> like, it's very obvious, the influences. But I loved it. It was original. And what I really wanted to state about this particular book is not a single word was wasted. Even in the first 20% of the book, so much happened. Like, it, it was almost exhausting. Not actually exhausting. I still read it in about three days. But so much takes place. Like character alliances and their status within the hoof and events. The, the, everything changes and it's turned on its head and turned back on its head. And you, it's just like, oh my God, what's happening? Oh my God. Every single chapter, you're like, oh my God, something new has happened. And it's been a long time since I've read a book where so much takes place. I'm not saying things take place at once or it's hard to follow or it's chaotic. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that um, there was not an ounce of filler in this book. It was nothing, no words were wasted. At no point did Jonathan Friends think, oh, I could use the next 20 pages worth of writing here. I'm going to throw in a random sex scene or something. Nothing like that. Everything was in there. There were a few, there were a few bits where I was a bit like, this angle, this drawing's taking, might offend some people, or is a bit fan servicey, or is just like, basically didn't need to happen or almost, it's almost uncomfortable hmm. and but I will, Jonathan Friends actually referenced that in his acknowledgements like uh, you know what I've done with this character might offend some people some people might question why I've done this it will make sense in future books 
So I appreciated that. Like he actually really knew what his readers would be thinking at each point of the book. Yeah. Although I do question if he needs to point, uh, you know, have a message to his readers saying, bear with me here, if that is actually a good choice. That being said, absolutely loved it. Hmm. Massive breath, breath of fresh air. Sounds interesting. Like you said, it's, um, in fantasy books, it's not sort of a common thing you come across that... Motorcycle that, clubs are not a common trope in fantasy. No, I think that's safe and, to say. Yeah, and, that, and that's why it sounds quite interesting. It's something, ref, like you said, it's refreshing. It's a breath of fresh brand air. Brand new. It's, it's really interesting. Really new and really interesting. Yeah. Just interesting that, like you said, he did take a lot of influence from that. And a few bits of it are kind of obvious. Like you mm. said, it was maybe... Character naming as, as, aside. Yeah, maybe... I don't know but it's guys the author's but then again he's a massive fan of the show he says yeah. he must have read a fantasy book about it A it works so we forgive him and B he's allowed to draw inspiration where he wants True. so mm-hmm. I, I I loved it shall I move on or do you want to talk about books yet uh, how many more have you got to go uh, I've got one more book and then there's one which you've also read which we can both talk about okay and uh... then and then we have the book that we know we're going to talk about Wait, so yeah, got, I've, got, got I've, got, I've got a curveball in here. You've got three. Or... So one of them will be Scott Duggery, which we're going to talk about. And then, yeah. then I've, I've got one which you have not read, and then I've got one which you have read. Okay. But a long time ago. Fair do the one I haven't read. Yeah. I'll talk about my ones, and then we'll... Uh, we'll, do, we'll, we'll do the discussions. Yeah. Okay, so the next book I've read since our last podcast is Empire of the Vampire by Jay Kristoff. Ah, oh, this is your prop that you... Uh, yes, it will become relevant later. Um, Irrelevant or relevant? Relevant, sorry. <laughs> and I've been wanting to read Empire of the Vampire as soon as I heard about it in February, which it's it just sounded fascinating. So the premise is, it's a fantasy world, secondary world, and vampires have taken over. And they've captured the last vampire hunter. So is... Um so is it set in our world or a different world? It's a secondary world, so it's a fantasy world. And is it sort of like modernish, or is it more fantasy, old-timey? Medieval, false medieval. medieval. Okay. Um, and vampires have taken over. They've captured the last vampire slayer, and they're making him tell his story. Okay. So I thought that was really so cool. So it's kind of his story whilst he's under, like, imprisonment or slash torture? Or- yes, exactly, exactly. And every single word... Every single word helped build character, plot, or the this really rich, dark atmosphere. Like, it was really well done. Although, it, it might have been every single word. Or it might have been the amazing illustrations. Hence why I'm using the book as a prop to show Henry. <laughs> so, obviously, those of you listening at home won't be able to see these. But if we ever start televising these... Oh, I skipped one there. Very similar to Bloodborne, in my opinion. These illustrations. So these oh, are these are vampire yeah, slayers. See, you see the tricorn and yeah. the mask. Um, what else? Well, oh, there's one. What's that one? There we go. That's one of the main characters. Okay. Now this is cool because this isn't something you see very often. No, no, it isn't. I thought it was a really great idea. Look, there we go. That's a that's a fight between vampire hunters and vampires. That's awesome. Isn't that isn't that so awesome? Oh look, there they are! How atmospheric is that? That looks uh, yeah. It, it so of... you're you're not, you're minding your own business. You're reading the book, and then the next you you, you you read a description or something happens, and you turn the page. So that there's a group of characters who turn up at once, basically, 
and then you see what you're literally what you're imagining right in front of you. It reminds me so I think there was a special edition of the first Game of Thrones where it was like this. Every Look like, at that cool character. Every few page or every like fifty pages or so there was an illustration of stuff from the I book. remember I remember seeing that advertised. Yeah. But this isn't a special edition. This is the book. This is the standard book. This is the standard book. And it's just there's this, this, so this, much. This Look is at cool, that. Like the, just the pictures alone. I'm like, like you want to you want to know I, what's I, happening. I want to read this. You want to read it. What's happening? And it's just the main character. I, I strongly imagine. Obviously, Bloodborne has been an artistic inspiration, well, but in Castlevania, my, in my opinion, has been a massive inspiration for this book as well. One, one of the pictures in there, I was, I was instantly thinking of, that looks kind of like Geralt from. Geralt, Geralt the river, yeah, Geralt the river, yeah. and I would also, impl- I would also say, if I can find the right picture, I don't know if I can, of course, because I, I was meant, I was meant to label all of these, not that one, but basically, Castlevania, in my opinion, is heavily inspired. Yeah, it's quite that, cool. that literally looks like something from the Castlevania Netflix series. Exactly, doesn't it? Ah, oh, here we go. So that's the main character there, Gabriel de Leon. He looks like a kind of cross between Trevor Bellman and uh, Alucard. Exactly. He, I, I would say he is. If him and Trevor Bellman met each other, they would get on so well. Trevor Bellman's understated, sarcastic humour is on point, and he does. And this guy doesn't have that. But this guy's sense of humour is much more brutal, but still really good. At one point, he's, um, he uh, does. He tells the person he sent the story to something, and the guy says, "But I thought you were a hero, the last vampire slayer." And this guy takes a big swig of his wine, turns to this guy and goes, who the fuck told you I was a hero? <laughs> and it's just things like that, which is just so good. Like, he, he literally quotes Rorschach um, from Watchmen at one point, where he says to the vampire who's interviewing him for his story, he says, do you think you've been sent, I've been locked in here with you to tell my story? Or do you think you've been locked in here with me? <laughs> from the Watchmen isn't it <laughs> I'm the last vampire hunter and you're a vampire what do you think it's literally the book is so good I, st- I didn't read this book anywhere near as quickly as I do other books mm. because the whole thing is, is, a, is dialogue it's literally a mad Ted in the story and in, in another it's called like frame narrative a really famous example is Reverend Heights in Reverend Heights you have the old housekeeper telling some guest the story of the main characters yeah and in frame narrative like that, if I remember correctly, you have her saying, let me tell you the story. And the chapter ends, and the new chapter begins, still in third-person narration, but now we're telling the story of the characters. Whereas in this, the dialogue continues. The guy would be like, okay, so where, where were we? Oh, yes, here's where we were, what happened next? Oh, okay, so Henry, then I went down to the shops, etc., etc. And it's literally in the dialogue. And occasionally... They were describing something that happens. The dialogue will stop, and the other character will who's jump in and ask questions. Exactly. It, did, it it was done really well. It didn't break it up at all. But because the whole thing was dialogue, it made the whole text a lot more exhausting to read. Because hmm. it's like if you ever had someone monologue at you for ages, and you get really tired, like I'm doing right now. <laughs> the irony is not lost on me. It's not why I was not in my head too, but I've been in those situations. <laughs> and it makes you tired. And it, that's what it felt like. So, the, A, the pictures really helped hurt me up. Like, oh, well, this is what you're saying. But also, it, it, it made, it drew, it, what of the book wasn't slow. 
Hmm. Like I said, every word was like it must have taken Jake Christoph ages to write because every say, cause like, the, the now, it's quite a thick. It's book. a really thick book, seven hundred and twenty pages, if I remember correctly. So, quick, quick interjection: Is yes. it a standalone or does it? No, it's definitely going to be part of a it's series. At the start of the book, the main the vampire who's doing the interrogation says, "I want to hear about these events," and lots of them, possibly spoilers, lots of them are not covered in the book. Yeah, so it's setting up for more than oh, definitely. Just what it is. I'll definitely read them though, especially if anything like this one. That's exactly like if, if it got that nice artwork in mm-hmm. it as well. And I originally started reading this on my Kindle, then my Kindle broke. So to continue reading it before my new Kindle arrives, I bought the physical copy because it would arrive sooner. And I'm really glad I did because of those illustrations. To not have it on the Kindle? It did, but it didn't do them justice at all. Fair enough. Yeah, I can say, from, from what you've shown me, um, well, from, from the premise and from the, that artwork, it sounds... 720 good. pages of vampire hunting in this deep, <laughs> atmospheric world. What more do you want? How awesome is that? Yeah, it's it just gonna say like I've been looking forward to this book for months. Particularly the, the illustrations and just like the don't like you showing pictures of the vampire hunters and the fight scene. I'm like, what the fight scene are like? I kind of want to read it to see like what their techniques are and how mm. they handle vampire slaying because there's so many different genres that cover vampire slaying and how different characters deal with it. But this one, I was like, I want to see how these people fight monsters in their world. Like, oh, I'll happily tell you all about the lore of this world if you want to hear about it. No. But we don't have time on the podcast. <laughs> no. And I, I want to read it myself now. So uh, You're welcome it. to borrow it, although I will be keeping the dust cover. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I take... I, when I... Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. You taught me that, actually. Yeah, when I read... When I take my... I travel around with a book quite a lot. I like hard acts, but I always take the dust cover off so it never gets uh, damaged. The uh, This hardback was was reduced recently, actually. Oh, really? I'll have to look, look, see what price it is. Um, anyway, those are my three books that you haven't read. So if you mm-hmm. want to talk about your two books, then we can talk about one of the books that we've both read. Yeah, that one sounds really interesting. It sounds so cool, doesn't it? It yeah. sounds so awesome. Yeah, so the reason why I've left it till later in the podcast to talk about my books is because they're kind of related. Oh, okay. They're, okay, they're okay. about very similar subjects. Granted, they're both non-fiction. I don't have a... I, okay, I want to get something very, very clear. That may have been giving people a misconception based on earlier books. I don't know, earlier podcast episodes. I don't have a problem with non-fiction in general. I just kind of have a problem with the non-fiction that you read. Why the non-fiction I read? Because non-fiction that you read tends to be about people who have, I don't know, climbed a mountain or cycled across a continent or overcome their f- fear in a combat zone. And well, should I say that this one's a change of pace? It's about uh, breathing. Oh, breathing. Oh, who was it? An ex-army serviceman who wrote the book by any chance? Uh, no. Who wrote the book? One is a journalist, and the other one is a kind of slightly crazy Norwegian guy. Okay. No, Danish guy. Danish guy. Well. Basically, if, if, if you're reading so a non-fiction book because you want to learn something from, you know, from the book, and I don't mean you want to learn how to be better yourself, not something abstract. If you want to read a book on how to invest in property or how to look after a kind of pet, then fair enough. You're reading that for educational purposes. Or if you're reading non-fiction because you want to f- learn more about a historical period or a certain topic, then fair enough. You're reading that for educational purposes. What's wrong about reading non-fiction to better ourselves? Nothing. I'm not interested in it. So you don't want to better yourself? 
I'm already perfect. <laughs> and in my opinion, you can read books on bettering yourself until your eyes start bleeding. Until yeah. you actually yeah, no, go no, out there the, and start bettering yourself. No, I, I completely agree with that. You can you can read as much as you like about all these techniques and everything mm. that you should do to better yourself, and then you do nothing about it. Yeah, and I don't yeah. agree. I don't. I, that's no, what I'm not agree. No, no, I completely, I completely agree with that. I completely agree. With, but that's the reason why I I read these is that I try and as much as I can, I try and put practical stuff into use. It's like um. It's probably going back a couple of years. I think it's even back to our first episode. I think oh. one of my favourite books was Ant Middleton's Fear Bubble. Right. And the visualisation technique he talked about for visualising your fear and how to overcome it. Mm-hmm. I, like I've said in previous podcasts, I'm a very visual learner. Yes. And the way he described that technique, for me, it was perfect. And it's stuff that whenever I'm nervous about something or I'm sure about something, I remember that technique and I put it into practice. Going back to last year, I was talking about Tim Ferriss's Tool of Titans. And one of the um, people he interviewed for that book, they were talking about a pull-up technique they use. Last year, I, during the lockdowns, I put that into practice and I I increased the number of pull-ups I could do. That's the thing, I will read a lot of non-fiction because why I like non-fiction is, is th- this chance to learn from people. Granted, yeah, you've got... I've, I've, I agree, I've, I completely agree. You can learn so much. Yeah. And it can change your life. Yeah. But in my mind, it's separated from entertainment. By all means, read this, learn something. It will help. I, I think they can still tell an entertainment... Well, there's like... Um, uh, I've talked about on previous podcast. It's Nims Dai. He's the guy who, who broke... Uh, it's Nims Dai. He's a um, Nepalese... Is he the one who climbed all the mountains yeah. that whether they thought would, was impossible? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Pro- project Possible. Yeah. Uh, or um, no, Possible somehow. Yeah. 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 So he they did the release the documentary on Netflix. Granted, his but that's the thing. It's an it's an incredible story because he broke the world record for climbing the fourteen highest peaks. Yes. By he broke the record by like six years. He mm-hmm. did it in seven months. Granted, I'm not going to go do that. I'm not going to go climb the fourteen highest. Could if peaks. he wanted to. That's why he would really say if he was yeah, here. Yeah, but it, it's, it's also entertaining hearing his story, and it's it's inspiring, it's cool, it's entertaining because you're hearing this story, and this guy is living a crazy life. And like I say, re- sometimes reality is crazier than fiction, and sometimes I read these non-fiction. I don't think he's killed any vampires. Just gonna say because vampires aren't real, Tom. That's what makes it crazier. But anyway, let's keep going. But that's the thing. Sometimes I read these non-fiction... How do you know, anyway? Sorry, let's keep going. And sometimes I read these non-fiction stories and just what people achieve or the businesses have and like how they've turned their lives around. It's just crazy and it's so entertaining. And it's really interesting. And like, granted, like you said, sometimes it, 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 I, I enjoy that uh, non-fiction stuff. I can't really, oh, I can't really go in and put that into practice because I'm not going to be going climbing 14 freaking highest mountains in the world. But I agree, like, when you can take the practical stuff and try and implement it into your own life, that's where I find real value. Mm. And that kind of leads on to these two books I've been reading. Okay. So the first one is called Breath by James Nestor, I think it is. Uh, I will include it in the timestamp. And the other one is uh, The Wim Hof Method by Wim Hof. And both books are about the power of breathing. And okay. how we as humans have been doing it inefficiently 
and how we please, can... please tell me you haven't read two books on how to breathe. I can teach you how to do that. <laughs> I've been doing it my entire life. In fact, I, I would almost say I'm an expert on breathing all the time. Um, but maybe you're not. I don't know. It's got me this far. You set me up for that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, deep breaths, Henry. Deep breaths. <laughs> I'm on fire today. I can't, I, I can't get a breath. <laughs> oh god that Glenn Parkus has kicked in <laughs> oh god oh. I've completely lost the plot uh, two books about breathing one was by Wim Hof Wim Hof oh god yeah sorry the other one was by somebody in Nestor James Nestor that's it Okay. Oh God, after our <laughs> okay. Little laughing fit and breathing jokes. Okay. Right. Um, what did I say about breathing? How have I been doing it wrong? I dare say I haven't been. I'm okay, but by all means. Yes, yeah, so you've been doing it all your life. Yes, I have been. Yeah. Um, I so remember the, if I hadn't. So the interesting thing. So with the James, I read the James Nestor one first. So I heard a podcast about it, and mm-hmm. it was actually one my mum recommended to me. She said oh, I've heard this him interviewed on a radio program. Um, and then I coincidentally heard him on, on a couple of other podcasts. And so my mum, it's actually my, I borrowed a book from my mum because she bought it because she thought it sounded really interesting. I eventually got around to reading it. And it is because what it combines is so this guy, James Nestor, he took part in various experiments to test people's efficiency with breathing and the research done on breathing. And it's kind of almost like a lost art in a way and how through the past in science a number of scientific experiments had taken on the taken place to measure people's efficiency of breathing proper breathing techniques and how all of these experiments are kind of spaced out and it's only up until now that scientists have kind of put these together and sort of properly examined breathing and right. it also covers like the history of human biology and how we've changed and how breathing has changed for us over the centuries and part of so, 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 so can I just recap how did the scientists know how people breathed hundreds of years ago it's, it's, it's through observation and observation they have a time machine no, no, as in these are studies going back from t- t- to like the 1800s. Oh, I see. The, the studies have been. It's not. It's not two guys who've gone. Oh, let's start studying breathing. It's been ongoing for it's centuries. It's been ongoing okay. for centuries. But these... I was going to say, how would they know? And you, when you see, when you see observation, I'm like, wait, what? No. So it's studies taken from like a couple of hundred years ago or even further back, and right. it's just they've been spread out. It's only now that they're kind of putting stuff together and realizing how important it is to our health and how we can improve 
the efficiency of our breathing mm. to better our health. So part of James Nestor took part in studies yes. where so, so the principle part of the principle of his book is that we as humans we are actually for efficient breath is actually so much better through our nose, whereas we yeah I would agree with that. So. Whereas we so many of us have de-evolved as he puts it where we mouth breathe we breathe and through mouth our breathers mouth breathe and it's actually worse for our health whereas breathing through your nose is more healthy for you and more efficient I can actually say that I prefer breathing through my nose I, it makes me feel better but when I had COVID I found I couldn't do that even though my nose wasn't blocked I found myself subconsciously breathing through my mouth because I wasn't getting enough air through my nose but, but that's the thing like me and you we work with a trainer together and true when you know when we're, we're when we're doing hard exercises do you hard. find your t- right harder harder for you well yeah okay fair point <laughs> all right but, but do you do, right all right yeah thank you for that do yeah. you do you find when at the end of the exercise we're you're breathing harder you're more so do you you're, you're usually breathing through your nose but then you take a few gasps through your mouth yeah. to kind of compensate yeah. yeah yeah and that's what part of what James Nestor covers in this is that we're that's the thing we're kind of the the mouth is a way to it's a secondary airway for us to compensate when like if the nose is blocked like when you've got a cold or something we can breathe around our mouth so that we've got this second airway to compensate but in over generations humans have de-evolved as he says and it's not all to do with our breathing he examines the jaw and crooked teeth and everything our jaws have apparently shrunk and so like you go where did you get the funding for this 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 took it this took him like a decade this has taken him years an investment me. of his own money so like yeah that's not me at all two 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 of the experiments he took part in one was where he spent two days with his nose completely blocked so i'm holding my nose and he was literally Breathing through his two days of his nose blocked. No, ten days. Ten, ten days of his day. nose blocked. Yeah, I moaned about one. And so he spent ten days just breathing through his mouth. He said he was snoring. His sleep apnea was worse. His oxygen efficiency was worse. His exercise was worse. All of that. And as soon as they took the tape off, and he was doing these, and he was exclusively trying to nasal breathe, breathe through his nose. He just said everything improved. His snoring was less. His sleep apnea was drastically reduced. His efficiency, his athletic efficiency increased. And he wasn't the only person doing this. He was doing it with someone else. And they had the exact same results. I'm, I, I'm, <clears throat> I don't want to interrupt. No, please do. Thank you. you. You're telling me that when the man stopped using the organ designed for breathing and instead uses the organ designed for eating and communication for breathing he noticed the problem yeah is that not obvious no that's the thing so many people suffer from snoring sleep apnea breathing problems and then what these studies have proved is they're using the wrong organ yeah <clears throat> I could tell them that I could tell them that the breathe through your nose it's what it's there for no, but that's the thing there are so many people in the world who do not realise that this is a problem and so, I don't know why I'm surprised. I've worked in hospitality for many years. I'm, I should not be surprised. People are stupid. <laughs> but as the in in this book, it's it's not just the breathing through the note. That's the thing they they conduct these studies and talk about studies where athletes would just 
breathe through the nose. And they found they were more efficient. But it's like you're saying with the, the stuff with the jawline, it's study. There's a scientist who went around the Native American tribes, and they found, and at the time they like nowadays a lot of people have crooked or bent teeth or anything, and it's because I'd be called a vampire because my canines stick yeah. out like a lot of vampires. But Thanks. it's because I'm very proud of it, we we've de-evolved. Now jaws have become shorter and less efficient for breathing through our nose. Now airways were shortened. And part of it is actually because of chewing. Okay. And so there was a American scientist years ago who went and studied... All those people having their steak well done has caused us to de-evolve. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's like it, it's the softer food we get, the processed food now. Oh, okay. It's so much sense. easier. Whereas this scientist, um, a few hundred years ago, he went and studied Native American tribes. And of course, they're hunting, gathering. You've got like nuts, berries, Meat, chewier meat, chewier meat, and you would spend two to three hours a day eating your meal because you've got to chew it down and everything. So over oh, co- over the course of three four meals a day, you're spending longer chewing, but that actually equals better jaw health, better tooth health. And so all these native tribes you would visit, they'd actually have perfectly straight teeth. Whereas nowadays, you've got processed food, chewy food, you can. You can finish your meal. So all those gorgeous Hollywood actors that are playing barbarians or savages or native peoples who are surprisingly attractive, even though they're literally living like savages, that's actually not inaccurate. They actually would have better teeth. Imagine if they're Hollywood actors, they probably had quite a lot of dental work done. Yeah, but the point I'm making is it's actually more realistic for them to have better teeth when they're playing Native Americans, for example, than you'd think. Yeah, but that's what this uh, these studies have shown that, um, and I just have my steak more rare because it's actually healthier for me. Well, it's, it, well this is what James Nestor was saying. You could, there are, I agree with James Nestor, by the way. This is, I approve of this. Instead of people doing like teeth straightening techniques, they should actually do like jaw sort of. Always made an enemy in the dental industry. Yeah, but it's um, and and through doing that, it will help increase your breathing efficiency. With all these crooked teeth, the smaller jaw is crammed in our teeth, so our teeth become more crooked. I don't know. I've, I've been, my pointed chin with the bum bit <laughs> has been praised very highly lately. <laughs> but so, so it was fascinating because it wasn't just, and of course, throughout the book, he's talking about breathing techniques mm-hmm. like yoga, Buddhist, even like um, uh, military breathing techniques to like calm their nerves and take moments. It, it's those are interspersed throughout the book, but it's it's why I liked it. It was fascinating because it was history, it was scientific, it was anecdotal, it was all this mix of things that it's like it's it's, it's and then again it's stuff I can practically put into practice. There's a, a list of breathing techniques in it, and it's even like there was stuff like how to help reduce uh, asthma attacks. So there was a breathing technique for helping reduce people like scientific research that being conducted on people coming out with techniques to reduce asthma attacks and help heal themselves from um, like diseases not like completely cure themselves but alleviate the symptoms and then he includes these in there so there's techniques in there that I can try and implement myself so you suffer from asthma yourself yeah. don't you not badly fortunately but there yeah. are techniques in there I can try and then he was talking about the sports efficiency, where you're just trying to exclusively breathe through your nose. And that's something I've, I have I go running. And I've tried to do that recently. Granted, I hadn't run, I'd been a, I'd taken a couple of months off running, 
sort of I'd had a cold and stuff. Winter. And, yeah, which is when my asthma was bad, so I took some time off. But coming back to my running, I consciously made the effort to only breathe from my right nose. And of course, I've just got back into it. My stamina's not at the best, and it's still hard work. So I'm still breathing heavily. But I found that breathing exclusively through my nose about, I'd say, 98% of the time, occasionally I'd let the occasional mouth breath come out, but I'm, I need to take a breath in through my na- mouth. But in doing so, by the time I reach the end of my run, of course I'm tired, but I actually feel more energised, mm-hmm. more like I could actually keep going if I wanted to. And that was just interesting. Just by exclusively, exclusively sticking to that nose breathing, I could see that difference. See, if you told me, Tom, read a book about breathing, I would have said when I said that when you first mentioned it and I made jokes about how I more you're doing that. Thank you. I wouldn't think how much I could gain from the book. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. This was he's saying is there are people out there who are just exclusively mouth breathing and it's actually bad for their health that is really bad I don't know I don't think I know anyone who does that I don't know why no, anyone would do they, that but well, I believe you but you as soon as I started reading it I was like I, I was consciously thinking about my reading I was like uh, my breathing sorry and I was thinking actually I do mostly breathe through my this nose this book has shamed you it's, it's made you subconscious but no that's the thing I, I, I think I was thinking back and I was like actually no I do mostly breathe through my nose and I think it's well, I don't know whether it's better, but as the book says, it is better. But but I'd never thought about that before until I did it, and it's cool because I've taken this stuff from that. And I like when we come to the next episode, I'm going to try and implement some of these breathing techniques, and oh. I can report back to it. And we we're going to put you through some exercises, and we'll see how the difference is. Yeah, but that's the thing when me and you now Henry will walk the tightrope or do some sort of complicated acrobatics. That's the thing when that me I would never dream of. Me and you, when we've been doing now, we've gone training with our trainer. Yes. In my mind, I've been like, just breathe through your nose, breathe through your nose. I've been going, get through this, get through this, <laughs> get through this. But why I then decided to read the next book afterwards was because... Yeah, I'm confused why you read two books, but this is back to back. Yeah. So again, so James Nestor, Breath, talking about breathing. Mm-hmm. In his book, he mentioned Wim Hof. And Wim Hof, I'd already heard, being this expert in breathing techniques. And so I was like, I'm going to read these books back to back. all experts in breathing, but yeah, okay, come on. <laughs> you got another tangent here. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he's, I've heard interviews with him. I'm see, I've seen him on TV shows. And he is, if you, if you don't listen to what he's saying, he kind of sounds a bit mad. Mm. It, but he, he's a very energetic bloke. Right. He's... Is he German? No, I think he's... Austrian? Netherlands. Netherlands, okay. I think so. Um, Dutch, yeah. Dutch. I think Um, But he's a very energetic bloke, and he's... I've I've listened to podcasts, and I've seen interviews with him, and the way he talks is exactly the way he writes. (laughs) I was reading the book, and I was like, yeah, this is written by him, because he's just... The, the the writing style is very energetic he's like it's all about life he's all about being now. all in we'll do, living, do it living. now yeah he's all very sounds like someone not, who breathes not, quite heavily a lot of the time higher blood pressure I'd say no but that's the thing that's the thing with breathing it decreases the blood pressure he's not like now no, no, no he's not angry but he's oh. very kind of yeah cool I'm, he, he's enthusiastic that's enthusiastic what not, okay. he's not angry let's do it now he's over caffeinated like you <laughs> yes indeed but 
so that's the thing the, in James Nestor's book he mentioned about Wim Hof and how he taken part in his brain experiments mm-hmm. and so Wim Hof went into more detail he get, went into detail about his life and about his how he got into breathing and cold exposure so he's very involved in cold exposure so he's I think he's run like a marathon through the Sahara Desert oh and just God. using his breathing wait but this Will Hof Wim Hof yeah Wim Hof uh, so you, first name Wim, second name, name Hoff. Hoff. Okay, thank you. And Can we just call him like Hoff? Hoff. Or Wim. So I, just keep, I, I keep wanting to say Wilhelm. Uh-huh. Wilhelm. My, my history hat on. He's run a marathon in the Sahara Desert. In the Sahara without, Desert. That without, must be horrible. Without I the, hate running in the English summer, let alone in the Sahara he, he, fucking he, desert. He did it without drinking any water. What?! And he has, uh, I think it was like he set a record for sitting in an ice bath for like an hour and a half uh, without getting hypothermia. It's a long time. Yeah. But he, he didn't get hypothermia, I think. And this is through his breathing techniques. Oh. So there's like an ancient monk, I think Tibetan monk, um, breathing technique where it's a certain breathing exercise which keeps you warm. And they've they've proven that like these monks will sit there they'll breathe and they'll be out in the snow and the snow around them will melt I reckon that's pretty cool I reckon though there is a secret monk method for doing this about anything but the the cool thing was that they the books were perfectly fitted together because again Wim Hof was talking about these He and in his book he gives these yes. practical step by steps how to breathe how to do the breathing exit how to do these specific, so one's for reducing anxiety one's yes. for calming yourself right. one's for so Wim Hof actually gives you advice on how to breathe in certain on these, situations yeah, on these step by step but the same so did James Nestor he put oh, those okay. in his okay. they both included these step by step guides that's really cool with James Nestor he included the scientific stuff so not only is it interesting and beneficial but it's also helping your mental health yeah. it's also like you know, if you're in this situation, if you're suffering from this, do this. And anyone can do it. Anyone can breathe. So just breathe like this, and it will help you. Yeah. That's it's, really it's cool. There's this non-fiction where he's putting this... That's why, like I said... I'm you had to throw non-fiction in there, didn't you? I'm, yeah. But it's why I'm going to I'm gonna try some of this As stuff. if people didn't think breathing was fixing. Sorry. That's a bit too much on your flow. Please, please continue. <laughs> Breathing. But that, that, that's why it was cool. That's why I read the two in conjunction, is because yes. they just felt like they fitted very well together. Mm. And yeah, it, the Wim Hof one was interesting because he covered a bit of his earlier life and like some of the stuff he'd been through. His, he sounds like an interesting man. Yeah, he's, like I said, he's very energetic. And I've, like I said, listened to podcasts and stuff, and he writes the way he talks. It's just. That's it's really not, cool. I think that's it, really some, cool. Some of it is a bit. Um, I don't want to say tangenty, rambly, but it's a lot. Lots to take in. Not not a lot. Quiet to take taste. In. No, it's gotta be patient. No, it's kind of his uh, enthusiasm gets thrown into his writing, and mm-hmm. it's it's cool. It's cool and everything, but it could have kind of maybe been slightly condensed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it needs a good edit. Yeah, but you you get his enthusiasm and energy, but um, rambling, maybe a touch, but the, the core message is good. Yeah, he's just energetic and he loves life and 
he just seems like a kind of crazy slash cool bloke but I think what he's teaching and what he's doing is great and like he includes testimonies of people he's helped and they just sound like they've turned their life around but that was that was the cool thing about just reading those two together they just an interesting thing a bit of history a bit of science something practical but yeah I've gone on, on enough about breathing <laughs> let's talk about so we all do by the way yeah. <laughs> let's crack on and talk about Skullduggery Pleasant until the end what about the book that I mentioned that we both read that I haven't had to talk about yet well, come on to that after Skull Dugby Okay, Skull Dugby Pleasant. So, this will be Skull Dugby Pleasant until the end by Derek Landy. I have a signed first edition over there. If anyone wants cares. Can Spoil, I spoiler free? Spoiler free. Let's start spoiler free. Spoiler free, okay. I loved it. It was great. It was great. It was so great. <laughs> spoiler? <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> to be fair, is there anything more to say? No, so oh, actually, I will say something we both discussed. Scotland Pleasant has been famous for its amazing wit and humour, particularly in dialogue, especially in the first few books. But after the first few books, there's been a steady decline of the dialogue and hum- uh, the humour, and I would say that by now, it's pr- mostly gone. There's been a few good moments, I'll admit, but. There's been very few... Like, I used to laugh out loud at some of the stuff that, that David Glanty wrote, and I just haven't done that. Like, I wonder if partly it's because... Well, Audiences we, have grown up. Yeah, I think well, we started reading the original book when we were, what, I was 10, a, I 11? was 12, maybe? Yeah, 11, 12. And, granted, humour can still be funny, but particularly with this book, I think maybe in the past couple, there have been times where... The dialogue, it kind of tries almost as if it's trying to be funny. But it's and just I've, I've just found it's just silly. Mm. It's like you can tell it's meant to be humorous, but I'm just like, yeah, this is just silly. It's almost cringy sometimes. It's, yeah, yeah. And it's a shame because I, I do find there are certain quotes from Skullduggery which have stuck with me. Doors just, are for people with no imagination. Yes, that is the one that always sticks <laughs> with me. When he climbs through the window. <laughs> <laughs> which which book is that from first? Isn't it Mortal Coil? It might be. Oh, yeah. It might be. It's, there are there are certain parts in the series where it's just hilarious, and it's just recently a few of them. He might be one of the most interesting original characters I've ever read. Yeah, it's just a, f- a few times recently you can tell he's trying to write a humorous scene, and for me it's fallen a bit flat. It's like. Yeah, I can tell this is maybe humorous, and it's, to me, it's just coming across as silly. There's like, there's particularly in this one there. I think it was maybe a quarter of the way through. I can't remember the particular dialogue scene. I actually know it was actually right at the start of the book. Oh, okay. okay. Whereas they were arresting some sort of sorcerer, and they call, keep calling him Reggie, and he's like, "My name is not Reggie." Anyway, Reggie, yeah, we can just. He's like, "My name's oh, not yeah, Reggie." Oh yeah, I do remember like, that. This is, this you is, could come up with a better joke, Derek. Lally. Yeah, this is just a tad silly. Yeah, this is, it, it's almost like forced. Mm. In a way, so yeah, no, I completely get that. Yeah. So yeah, the 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 humor is not what it once was. I'm but, reading it more for the characters now, who I yeah. literally grew up with. Uh, I want to make sure they're okay, and I also mm. love the world and the, yeah. Uh, that 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 is literally my only gripe with the book mm. is that some of the humor doesn't work anymore for me, and if, it's a bit silly. Whereas the rest of it, I can this whole everything is written. I can really see the comic book influences in there. Mm. Can you see that too? 
I, you can see the comic book. You can even see some real world influences, like. Well, yeah, but I can really see the comic book versions. I mean, you've got these larger than life characters. Then you've got their alter egos and their arts nemeses, and you've got you know these side characters that are really unique. And it's it, it, if Scott Dugby Pleasant had actually started life 50 years ago as its own comic book franchise to rival Marvel and DC, I would not have been surprised. It's got that kind of... All the tropes from superheroes, all the sort of story arcs, that kind of thing. I mean, you've got what the... You've got the coming of age stuff. You've also got the people... You know, like The first couple of pleasant can be seen as an analogue of a typical superhero story, in a way. Anyway, sorry. Well, my, what tag, what tag I was going to say was... Um, I think for a while they've been looking at trying to make a movie, but I think this would actually make yes. a better. This would actually make a better animated series. Oh yeah, definitely. I think it it worked better as an animated series or a cartoon or something like that. Well, to a large extent, part of it would always have to be animated. How many actors do you know walking around with actual skeletons, for example? <laughs> Don't know a few of them look like that. Mm, Christian Bale in that film where he had to get really skinny and oh, almost yeah. died. Yeah. Anyway, um, overall. It is another excellent Skullduggery Pleasant. It's full mm-hmm. of action, full of intrigue, mystery, mm-hmm. plot twists. Action again. Diverse characters. Action again. My only other gripe with it, I know I said it was the humour, but my only other gripe is the ridiculous character names, and I have to sometimes go and Google them, because I'm like, I've forgotten yeah. who you are. Sometimes your name is so... The ones who appeared or, in the first nine books, I've got them. Yeah. But occasionally there'll be a character, I'm like... Were you there? Yeah. Or they'll or I just happen to know you. Yeah. Or they'll introduce a character and like, do we know them? And then I'm like, oh no, they're yeah, introducing this the book. The way Derek Landy introduced characters as characters, I hate it. Well, it's like we've said temp- we've said temper temp- free. Yeah. Before. He got introduced in this new series, and we're like, should we know him? And then he's like, no, he's a brand new character. But they introduced him as if we should. And I was like, I have no clue. I really hate that. That's something that really annoys me. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, if I should already. If you introduce a character who was a side character in previous books, who you, you sort of introduce like you should know him, and you're like, oh, I don't know, who is this guy? And then you suddenly remember him, that works really well, in my opinion. But if you introduce a new character, you're like, oh, just run with him. But he's actually had nothing established by now. I don't think that works at all. That Those are kind of my only rights. But yeah, overall, it was... Some of the action sequences were awesome. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And okay. uh, some of the like images that it, uh, I conjured in my head, um, like slight spoiler, but there's one scene where a character rides around a corner on a motorcycle and a monster bursts out of the building in front of them, and they sort of say something witty, and then they like you know slide. do a donut on the motorcycle or they'll slide, yeah, they drift, drift, drift. That's it. They drift around on a motorcycle and drive away, leading the monster away from civilians. It's just amazing. Like, if you watched it on a Marvel movie, you'd be like, this is awesome. That's the thing, that's completely different to how I picture it. Because I swear, it's like, the motorbike falls on the ground. She then, like, lands on it and is surfing on the motorbike. Oh, is that how it Yeah, that's how, that's how I read it, or how I pictured it. Because I, I sort of saw it as, they ride around the corner, the monster bursts out, they sort of say something on their, in, you know, radio. Then they, like, drift, and, like, you know, like, spin the motorcycle like they always knew this was going to happen. And they ride off epically into the sunset. I, no, I swear she, like, she is kind of drifting, but then it kind of collapses and she splits onto it. And it's kind of surfing it towards the monster before she jumps up and slices it. I think we're thinking of two different scenes. No, we're thinking of the exact same scene. Oh, God. But to, 
Do I need to go get the book and we find it? We'll find it afterwards. We'll find it afterwards. Okay, we'll find it afterwards. It's going to take too long, yes, indeed. There's action and everything, and it's it's really good, but... Yeah, there's so many plot twists and everything, and I like... Because... but I like how it answers a lot of questions mm. we had set up at the start of and the series. And it answers them really, really well. It's not like a, oh, you never could have figured this out kind of twist. Yeah. But it's sort of like a, oh my God, that makes perfect sense twist. Mm. It just sort of, it sets it up. If you ever got that feeling of dominoes falling? Yeah. This book captures that, in my opinion. Shall we go on to a bit of spoilery stuff? Yes, why, why not moment? indeed. Going on to spoilers. Indeed. It wasn't the last book. I no. thought it was going to be... It was never going to be the last book. The series made Derek Landy millions of pounds. Why would you just give that up? I was slightly annoyed because they'd say... I, I, I just think nothing can end nowadays. Nothing well, ever I agree. ends. I agree. I'm, I've read so many books now, this year and last year and the year before, of... From series, which I'll get to later actually, ironically, it's placed into the book that I'm going to talk about later, that I thought ended really well and should have been left to rest. And um, of, bring Dying of the Light, the last, when, when they finally do of Dark Quests, and so the first sequence of Slowly yeah. Pleasant, Dying of the Light, the last one, had a really, really good ending. I love that. I really love that ending. I was like, I've grown up with the series, I love these characters, and this is a good way for it to finish. It kind of left it open, but I, if it doesn't, I'm happy they ended it. Mm. And then when you t- you told me, that, oh, they've written a new one. I'm like, oh, have they? And I read it, and actually Resurrection was quite good. But I didn't think it was necessary. And then Midnight was awful. Batman was quite good. Season of War was very good. I forgot how bad Midnight was. Yeah, that was really awful. And I was just like, the, the, I've enjoyed going back to this world, but at the same time, I'm like... I found they got two. better as it went along. Yeah, it, it did, actually. But also, well, I, I still enjoyed Resurrection. But oh no, so did I. Yeah, I, I agree. Then they you. dipped with Midnight. Then yeah. they went back. We, and then we season- actually spoke about it on the podcast, and we both said this is the worst one. Mm, definitely the worst one. Anyway, if the whole thing wasn't wasn't necessary. If the, if the whole thing had not been published, although I would have missed God of Me Pleasant so fucking much, it would have been fine. Yeah, I would have been happy. But that's the thing. So many things nowadays. They, they've got to have a spin-off or they've got to have a sequel series. They can't just end. To a and this, the way this was advertised was originally it was going to be two sets of... two trilogies, in a way. Mm-hmm. And then it would end. And Well, you should as, know by as, now, Derek Landy likes trolling his fans. But as, as, you shouldn't as, trust what literally, he says. Literally, as you read it, you're like, there's no... The, halfway through, I was like, it's not going to finish here. And then they just kept on doing more and more plot twists mm-hmm. and introductions. You're like... It's, it's not and then of course it ends Skullduggery will return I was like that was obvious <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great book mm-hmm. and that ending where you get and so many questions answered like we said in the spoiler free bit so yeah. many questions answered and then there's a few more questions to be up, uh, to figure out but not many enough to make you read another book yeah but not well, enough to yeah, make you be unsatisfied. It's what's happened to Chris Bickler. There's this other... There's this new, like, order of sorcerers against hum- human mortals being set up. Yeah, they, and, they set some stuff up at the end. Yeah, and then... Hey, Ghastly's back! And you're like... I know, like... Whoa, what? Granted, <laughs> I'm so happy they brought him back. So yeah, I'm like, so happy they brought him back. Like, fucking yes! I remember when he got killed off, and I was like... No! No! 
and Alice has got magic now as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so much that happens in this book. The f- there's the faceless ones return. Obsidian is going around erasing everything. I the, the monsters, Chalgoth. Chalgoth. The mortals find out about magic. There's basically worldwide destruction going Donald on. Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, Martin Fanner, Fan, he starts doing shit. Yeah. And then uh, how every, they basically lose at the end. And it's just... Mm, yeah, they do. And like, you spend the whole book thinking, how are they going to beat him? How are they going to beat, how gonna beat Obsidian? And they don't. But then they do. Like, literally, like, Omen and Skullduggery get erased. Yeah. So does Valkyrie. And then... Mm. And they get brought back. It is, it is literally divine intervention. In there. I suppose, in a way, they advise you when you're a... Valkyrie intervention. Valkyrie intervention. Oh, Dark Wars mm. intervention. Well, it's basically a, a... Technically, a massive... Uh, do sex machina moment. Yeah. Where someone is. else comes and saves them. But, but the, technically, the, the, the they built up towards that like seven books ago. Yeah. That's the thing. The, the so it works. The characters even say after this, like, yeah, the only reason we're here is because of Deus Ex Machina moment. We are literally copies of that are God. Did they actually say that? I can't forget that. Yeah, it's, it's when the um, head teacher's giving them the school address. Right? <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah, we are literally copies that God imprinted on their mind and how the hell are we meant to deal with that? I don't know, but at least we're still Thank here. you, new students. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just, yeah, you know, like the faceless ones, and then they literally, bec- they literally to survive, they become like infinitesimal. Yeah, it's like fuck. There's so many awesome. Weird so much rapid- happens. So much happens yeah, in like, this book. T- temper goes crazy. Yep. Yeah, he's still crazy. Yes, yes. That's not solved. No. No, there's the thing. Again, that's another strand that will eventually factor in. Right, like, I, I never got. Like, I never got to know temper. Like we hit the ground running with temper. Like. I barely got to know him before shit started happening to him. So I find it hard to care if that's uh, well, doesn't sound I think, he, I think he built up... I think Derek Landy built up a good enough character of, of him. Over the I don't think we knew enough about his backstory. I, I'd like to know where he came from, why how he became a magician, why he does what he does. It's a sort of like, oh yeah, this thing, is Temper, so, so he's many, this. So many other characters you barely know. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, again, so, uh, like I said, it just could nothing end nowadays. Um, <laughs> I would have been happy if they had he had somehow just wrapped up with that Deus Ex smack in the moment. They graduated and it's a kind of a happy ending. But I won't complain if there's more Scott. Yeah, to be fair, if it's as good as that one was, then fair enough. I mean, if all those books in that whole second series thing were like dominoes, hmm. then it landed really well. Hmm. Can I just say, I'm really proud of that metaphor. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Well, should we move on to... Anything else you want to say? No. I'm no. quite happy. Cool. What was this final book you wanted to mention then? So, I've not finished it, but I'm halfway through Golden Hand by Garth Nix. Okay. A book you gave me um, yeah. quite some time ago, um, which I thought we could talk about at the end of this podcast. So, I'm, I've not actually finished it because it's taken me longer than I expected. I think I found the same thing. Yeah. I would like to say I'm enjoying this a bit more than Clarial. I think I found the exact same thing as well. But I still think, compared to the original Abortion trilogy by Garth Nix... Abercorson. That. You, you called it Abortion, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, how am I meant to say it? Abercorson. Abercorson. Yeah, compared to the original Abercorson trilogy, the Abercorson trilogy was so much better. Yeah. 
so much better. And this is why I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about the whole thing about things not dying later. Clariel and Golden Hair shouldn't have been written. The Horseman trilogy ended really well. I enjoyed it. It was amazing. It sort of finished where it finished. I'm still for the, the sequel for Clariel that I felt should have come out. Because the way <laughs> yeah. it ended... It didn't feel complete. It felt like I it think there's a more... sort of story which I still haven't read yet that um, shed some more light. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It doesn't really show her complete transformation, does it? Yeah, I haven't finished Golden Hand, but I can already see some problems. It, and it gets better. I it found, gets better. I found the start quite slow, mm. but I found like later in the book it begins to pick up pace. A I bit found more. the same thing with Clariel. Yeah, exact same thing. Yeah, we spoke about it on a couple of podcasts ago. I think Garth Nix is really good at writing a series. So he can... It, I, did you ever read the Seventh Tower series? No. Uh, you, oh, yes, the Keys to the Kingdom. No, that's different. The Seventh Tower series is... You would have loved it. If you read it now, you probably wouldn't. But at, when you were 10, 12, you would have loved it. Um, but yeah, Keys to the Kingdom... I thought it was amazing. I don't think you found it as good as I did, but I thought it was amazing. Uh, Abba Horson's trilogy was amazing, and Seventh Tower, was, in my opinion, was amazing. But I think you have to get over that first book or couple of books of Garth Nix. After that, his series is just awesome. Like, I can't remember much about Mr. Monday or Sabriel or um, The Fall, which is the first Seventh Tower book. But the rest of the books I can remember really well. And I think writing a series... Garth Nix is amazing at, but writing standalone books, he's not great. Although I have read um, Angel Mage by Garth Nix, which is a standalone there's, book. There's, there's a couple of stand- that was okay. There's a couple of standalones he's done where uh, the Ragwitch and um, Shades Children, Shades Children, Shades. Well, yeah, and as they've been well received. They were actually really, I really enjoyed both of those. Okay. So I think he. Okay. I think he can actually. I'm trying to give him excuses here, he can, Henry. No, I think he I'm can. trying to uh, explain what's happening, and if I can't, then we've just got to have to admit that he's not written books as good as he has in the past. And I don't want to do that. I love him too much. I mean, that's the thing. Neither Clariel nor Golden Hand are bad books. They no. just found that they both had very slow starts, and they got better towards the end. Well, with Golden Hand, I've actually worked out what was wrong. I don't want to sound arrogant and say I could do the book better than Garth Nix because I can't. He's amazing. But in Golden Hand, at least, I found two major gripes. I'm only halfway through the book, but I found two major gripes. First of all, there were two storylines going on. The Lyriel storyline and the Nomad Girl storyline. And it alternates between the two chapter by chapter. Which I didn't really enjoy because just as I get interested in the Nomad Girl's chapter, I'll go back to Lyriel. And then I get interested in Lyriel's chapter, and oh, we're back to the Nomad Girl. And I didn't like how we switched between them. Constant back and forth. Exactly, exactly. I didn't enjoy that very much. I also didn't, also didn't enjoy something which I talked about on this podcast before, which is about promises made by the author, whether they intend to or not. So in the first chapter, literally right after the prologue, the Nomad Girl promises, I've got to take a message to someone. I'm like, okay. Where you're going is really cool. I don't quite know what the message is, but it's, it's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to this. And then, although it's not quite her fault, she literally heads in the opposite direction. And they go off on a tangent. And I start getting annoyed. Because <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. You promised me this. Take me towards that. Why are we going off over here? 
I'm annoyed. This whole thing feels like a side quest. Feels like we're wasting time doing something else and we should be doing this. And I just started getting frustrated. So I was planning to binge read it yesterday and finish it during the course of today before our podcast, but I just couldn't because I just kept finding myself like, oh, really? We're still here. We've not moved on yet. And I, 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 and I, it was it was a slow start. It's just a really slow start. You're right. And actually, we're just like, why aren't we there yet? There yet. So the the blurb of the book will tell you the main antagonist is Claw of the Mask. I'm halfway through the book, and this is going to be a spoiler now. So maybe Henry used to put this in the thingy. Halfway through the book, and Claw of the Mask has not appeared. If you're halfway through your story and your primary antagonist has not turned up, then that's an issue. Do you not think? Yeah, well, it's so many books will save stuff for the big bad at the end and they'll save it for that. Yeah, but it's not even a, pri- a, ter- a secondary or tertiary antagonist that has a name. Some people show up every now and then, but that's it. Like, I just found Garth Nix is a better writer than this. He's a better writer than this. I- I'm telling you from experience. Yeah. I just feel like. Maybe, maybe well. Maybe I'm looking back at Roast into Dentures. No, but. True, but um, maybe when it comes to the next episode and you finish the book, you say, oh, actually, I really enjoyed the rest of the book. Well, that's very true. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. Are you saying you enjoyed Golden Hand more than Clarion? I I remember, yeah, I did find both of them had a slow start. Mm -hmm. I think I felt Golden Hand had a bit of a more enjoyable payoff at the end. Okay. I think Clarion, like we've said before, it kind of felt a lot was left open and we still haven't seen anything to follow up on it mm-hmm. so yeah but uh, yeah they, they were still enjoyable books but yeah I agree that Golden Hand I did slightly enjoy but I'm, I like with you I, I agree that some of the earlier books are thank you very much slightly more enjoyable ones mm, much better yeah I was going to say we should talk about some TV shows or games but I know the game we were going to talk about. I you haven't finished, and I'm still much further behind than you. So That's I think we'll true. stay there for a few which you want. And TV series, I I mean I haven't. We were going to talk about Moon Knight, but I haven't seen any of it yet. I think uh, we'll save Moon Knight for next episode. Where if you get round to it, which I'm sure I will. If you're and, interested, by all means. But I wouldn't say the votes of the evening or you know too much time if you don't if you're not. Uh, I, I'm I'm quite intrigued to watch it, so I'm sure okay, I will. Okay. Um, and yeah, probably by the time this episode goes out, I watch Multiverse of Madness as well because that's just come out. Oh, I should really do that. I, I want to see that, and who knows? Kenobi might. Eh, Kenobi, no, Kenobi might be for a future episode. But yeah, Moon Knight and Multiverse of Madness. I'm sure we can talk about it next time as well as anything else we've watched. Games. I think we'll save that for next episode. Yeah, I think, I think books, so. Books well, we've both it. barely played any video games for the last Recently, month. Yeah, we've been what well, we've both been playing Legends Arceus, but I'm still very much at the starting area in your. I'm quite far, far, far ahead. You're quite far in, but you're not near the end yet. So I don't know. We'll save it. We'll save it. We'll definitely save it. I don't know. I definitely want to talk about it because it's interesting and it's different. But we'll we'll save it till I've got a bit further in. I mean, there's a bit more for me to talk about. Indeed. Um, but yeah, cool. Quite book heavy. Very book heavy. Which is uh, just the way I'd like it. Yeah. But uh, what what did you make of the whiskeys at the end of the day, Tom? Well, I prefer the twenty five year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't guarantee I'll be bringing much of that over here. But well, I can't blame you, I suppose. But it was still they both were delicious. 
I must admit. Both were absolutely amazing. If you're even, buying a gift for someone, either will be greatly appreciated even, by a rich even lover, for a non- especially the over £100 one. But the both would be highly appreciated. Even as non-smoky sherry bombs? Just because I prefer something doesn't mean I don't like something that's different. Particularly when it's free. <laughs> Particularly when it's free. Mm. Oh, all right, John. Thank you very Thanks much, John. Henry. Thanks for joining me. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>